I'm really excited. We're entering into a new series this morning. We're beginning uh, in 2 Peter. And so if you've got your Bible, you can pull that out and grab it, open it up to 2 Peter. Uh, it's towards the back of the Bible uh, near the end. A few uh, months ago, we did a series in 1 Peter called The Fiery Trial. And, uh, and so this is now um, the follow-up letter uh, from Peter. And yes, it is that Peter. I know sometimes biblical names can get confusing and you're like, hey, James, is this James the brother of Jesus? Is this James the apostle? Is which James? This is Peter. This is the one who walked on water and then sank. <laughs> this is the one who denied Jesus and then was restored and brought back uh, into, into fellowship with him. This is the one who would walk through towns and people would drag the lame and the sick out on mats with the hope that Peter's shadow would just fall on them uh, because uh, there was healing power in his walk with Jesus. This is the Peter uh, that is writing this letter uh, to the church, and he's writing it to us. Uh, his original audience would have been, uh, uh, they, they believed that it was uh, written to uh, Gentile Christians, people who were not part of the Jewish faith, uh, who, were, who were Greeks or Romans, but they had become followers of Jesus. And he was trying to write uh, to them to reinforce uh, their faith, particularly against false teachers. And so we're going to get into a lot of different themes as we go through the book of Second Peter. I didn't bring one of them up here, but we've got some really cool, attractive journals that are down in the resource room. And, uh, and uh, if, uh, they're five bucks. Um, and it's a great resource. It's got the scripture on one page and it's got note-taking space on the other side. And so if you haven't grabbed one of those, I want to encourage you. That's a great way to kind of engage with it, read ahead during the week, write down some notes and get prepared um, for what God wants to show you. You know, sometimes the amount of uh, readiness that you come in with is directly equated to how much filling you go out with. So, so if you come in and you're expecting, man, God, I'm expecting you to speak to me this morning. I'm expecting to worship you. I'm expecting to come out transformed. Uh, man, a lot of times that's exactly what God does. Um, on the other hand, if we come in and we're just kind of like, um, here we are now, entertain us, right? <laughs> like, uh, you, you, you get what you put in, right? So, so I want you guys to be active. I want you to be excited about uh, this. Um, and let me just say this, that... Um, you know, many of you know that I love the book of Ephesians. It's probably my favorite book in the Bible if you're allowed to have books. You know, especially Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 is a section that I just love. But, but if I were to pick uh, just a, some specific verses that, that I just really love, it's the ones that I'm preaching on today, Second Peter 1 through 11. And as you're going to see, there is a ton that is packed into these verses. And we could really do a sermon series just on these 11 verses um, but I wanted you to see it in context. By looking at all 11 verses together, you kind of get the picture of what Peter is trying to communicate. And what it relates to, I'm going to talk to you this morning about the motor, I'm going to talk to you about the mission, and I'm going to talk to you about the measure. Okay? The motor, the mission, and the measure. Where does the en what's the engine? Where does the power come from? Okay, what are we supposed to do with that power? What are, what are we called to, to do with the power that we've been given? And then how do we know if we did what we were supposed to do? How do we measure our success, right? So, so uh, you know, there's uh, lots of clever ways that you could say it, right? But, uh, but it's the motor, the mission, and the measure that we're going to look at this morning. And so let's begin. Um, let's pray. Let's ask God to speak to us through his word. And then we'll, we'll begin to unpack the passage. Father God, um, I just thank you for your word. It is such a gift to us. Uh, it, is, um, it gives life. It gives uh, understanding. It gives us meaning. It gives us hope. And as we prepare to go on this journey for the next nine or ten weeks to walk through uh, this letter uh, that we know is Second Peter, man, I, I just pray that you would do some transformative things in our hearts through it. Uh, that, that we, would, we would just emerge out the other side just uh, that much closer to you, that much more in your image, uh, that, much, uh, 
that, that much changed from who we were before, God. Uh, we love you, and we, and we want to get closer to you today, so help us to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse uh, 1, we're going to start looking at the motor, right? It says this. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. What an incredible way to introduce himself, right? This is like I, I gave you his, a little bit of his resume, right? This is the one. <clears throat> he has done amazing things. There's only two people that have walked on water, Jesus and Peter, right? Uh, he was up on the mountain when Jesus was transfigured. There's so many things that he experienced. And now, at the time of him writing this letter, he is, he is one of the top leaders in the Christian church in the whole entire world. But he doesn't say any of those things. He says, hey, you know who I am? You know what my identity is? Uh, I'm a servant and I'm an apostle. Now, the servant is this word, a Greek word, doulos, that actually could be translated slave. Um, it's, it's, that's the level of commitment, right? He's not, he's not an at-will servant. He is, he is the servant of Jesus, and it's one of the highest honors. Abraham was a doulos. Moses was a doulos in Scripture, right? These were the servants of the living God. And here's the cool thing, that we're called with that same title. Right? That same title of honor that was applied to him of servant and apostle. Now, he's in a capital A apostle, meaning he walked with Jesus. Jesus looked at, at the 12 and he said, hey, you guys, I'm looking to you to take this message to the kingdom. So, so there will never be another capital A apostle, uh, but, but we are small a apostles, meaning that we are sent ones. We're sent as ambassadors uh, for, for Jesus. And this is so significant in understanding the Christian faith rightly understood it's not about titles. It's not about prestige. It's not about, about getting other people to recognize your greatness and your supremacy and your authority. Every one of us at our best is a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he reinforces this because here's what, look what he says in the next thing. He says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. That you have a faith of equal standing with the Apostle Peter. That's pretty mind-blowing, right? I mean, he knew Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He experienced power. He, he, he performed miracles. He did all these incredible things, and yet we're told that we have a faith of equal standing. How can this be? By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The reason that you have an equal faith with Peter, the reason that I have an equal faith with Peter and an equal standing with him is because it's based on the righteousness of Jesus. It's not based on my track record. It's not based on my good behavior. It's not based on his, because he would probably lead with, hey, you know what I did? I denied Jesus. <laughs> you know what I did? When I was walking on water, I started to doubt, and I sank. That's my track record. After Jesus rose from the grave, you know what I did? I went out, and I was fishing. <laughs> I was trying to go back to my old lifestyle, and he came and said, Peter, what are you doing? We got work to do, you know? So, so Peter would lead with his weakness. His weakness is where he learned Jesus' strength. And so it's through the righteousness of Jesus that any of us is found with an equal standing in faith. And, and what he says here, don't miss this because this is super important. Uh, he says, uh, standing with ours by righteousness of our God <clears throat> and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so uh, the English gets the Greek right here. It's not of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, meaning our God, God the Father, and our Savior, Jesus. It's our God, Jesus, and our Savior, Jesus. It's an incredible claim to claim that Jesus is God. And it's a reflection of what we understand within the Trinity, that God is three persons, God, one God, in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, 
God the Holy Spirit. And right here, it's reinforced that he's saying Jesus is our God and our Savior. Now, how many of us have ever said, have you guys ever said, you know, this is Christianese, right? Uh, yeah, I profess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, right? Like, oh, we just kind of throw it out there. But when you really think about that, what you're saying when you say that is that Jesus is my Lord. He's the King. He has absolute authority over my life. Whatever he says, I will be obedient to because he's in control. And that flows out of the fact that he's the one that saved me. He's the one that forgave me. He's the one that gave me my righteousness. And so when we emphasize one and de-emphasize the other, we miss out on all that Jesus is. If we just look at Jesus as God, but we try and save ourselves, we miss out on it. <laughs> if, we, if, we, if we think of Jesus as our Savior, but we think that he saved us and freed us to do what we want and make ourselves God, then we miss out on who Jesus is. The Christian life works when Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. And that's what Peter reinforces here. All right, that's verse 1, right? <laughs> verse 2, right? May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And this is a common Christian greeting that we see uh, throughout Scripture. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. These are, these are hallmarks of what it looks like to walk with Jesus, that we should have lives that are filled with grace and filled with peace. Now, how many of you right now are thinking about like, oh man, <laughs> I'm reflecting on the week that was. <laughs> and one of those was probably a little bit deficient this week, right? Either you didn't receive grace from somebody that you wanted to receive, or you know you're feeling convicted that you didn't extend grace to somebody who needed it, or your life was marked by disunity, by division, by strife, by struggle, by difficulty. And so many times it's because we're not resting in, in the grace and the peace that is not added to our life. Look what he says. It's not added. He says that it may be multiplied, that it may be exponential, right? That it's just expanding at incredible rates. It's just, it's just overflowing. How does that happen? It happens through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, in this case, it is of God the Father and of Jesus our Lord. Jesus, who's also God, right? So, so it comes through the knowledge of God. Do you want to have grace? Anybody want to have grace and peace in their life? Anybody desiring that this morning? Here's what he says. Here's, here's how you get it. Knowledge of God the Father and Jesus our Lord. Knowing about them, knowing them, <laughs> knowing what it's like uh, to walk with them, Knowing what it's like to be in the middle of one of the worst struggles of your life, one of the craziest things you could go through, and feeling this sense of peace that you're just like, man, I don't know how this is possible. Except for this is a, a moment where God is just touching me. Do you know God in that kind of way? Man, this is why we open up the Bible. This is why we read the Bible, because that's how we know Jesus. This is why we spend time in, in prayer. This is why we worship, because all these are ways that we come to know experientially and with our head, our head and our heart, to get closer to God. That's the key. If you, if you want to do one thing, take one thing away today, your ambition and goal in life should be to know Jesus. Just to know him. It's the best thing that you could possibly do with your life. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, because his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
think about the, the depth. I read a lot of emails. He's already said more in like three sentences than I say in like three paragraphs, right? Or probably 3,000 paragraphs. There's so much depth in here. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Is there any area of your life where you feel like you're, you're lacking? Like, oh man, this part of my life is out of whack. This part is not working. This isn't functioning. Or, or this part of my life is just marred by sin and, and habitual sin and I can't get over this thing. Whatever you need, it has been granted to you by God's divine power. Do we have any uh, backpackers in here? Anybody like to go out, like hike around in the woods? Good. Strong hand, Dan. I like that. All right. So you guys can talk to him later if you want to talk about it. So a lot of you don't. And, and I used to, but I haven't recently. And, and so one, uh, one time um, I was up around Lake Nakamixon, and I had gone there a bunch of times to play disc golf and to check out the lake and stuff. But I saw over across the street, it had this sign about like that there was rocks or something. And I was like, well, that sounds cool. I'll go check that out. And so, uh, so I went hiking up, and it's kind of a path uh, up. And as you're going up, there's these rocks on either side. And when you get up to this kind of this large outcropping. Has anybody, anybody ever been up there? Yeah, Richard knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, so, so I get up to the top of it, and I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. I wonder what's on the other side. So I start walking over to the other side, and I'm kind of looking around. And man, I'm, I'm typically very, I've got like an internal GPS. I know where I'm going, whatever. So I get done looking around, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to walk back down. So I start walking down, and I'm looking around. I'm like, this does not look familiar. <laughs> and so this was back in the era before smartphones, and so uh, I flipped my flip phone open. I had my phone with me, and so I call my friends, and I'm like, hey, I'm hiking around up at Nakamixon, and I'm lost. I don't know where I am. And they're like, where are you? And I'm like, I'm in the woods. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't even know what to tell you. And they're like, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, I don't know. There's nothing. I guess like send rescue dogs in a couple hours if I don't show up, right? Like, I don't, I don't know. I was like, I'm going to start walking down <laughs> and hopefully that will take me out where I need to go. And, uh, and so I just start walking and eventually, I, I just walked. I ended up in somebody's backyard. I walk out to a road, and I'm like a mile from where I parked my car. And so I finally make my way over. But, uh, but here's what I want you to see with this, this long, drawn-out story, right? Imagine that when I was doing that, I had a backpack on. And I put this backpack on, and, uh, and I'm hiking, and I'm doing all this stuff. And I'm like, man, this is kind of heavy. Got to adjust it. The straps are bugging me. And imagine that in that backpack was everything that I needed, was, was from the future, was sent into that backpack a smartphone that had my GPS, the location of my, where my car was parked, where I was, maps, there would be supplies, there would be provisions, there would be water. It's all in the backpack, and I'm hiking around, and imagine that I'm like, oh, man, I'm so thirsty. I wish I had something to drink. <laughs> and on top of that, I wish I knew where I was going. And, man, if I get stuck here overnight, I wish I had a tent, a sleeping bag, and it's all in there. But imagine that I never opened it up. Right? That, that, that's what this picture, he's saying, everything that you need for life and godliness has been given to you. You've got it in the backpack. But if you don't open up the backpack and you don't start pulling things out and saying, hey, what is this? I might need this later. What? If we don't take inventory of what he's given us, we won't have it when we need it. We won't tap into the power that's waiting there for us. And it'll feel like burdensome. It'll feel cumbersome, right? This is so many, so many of us in our Christian walk, we're like, oh, there's so many rules and restrictions, and Christianity's just difficult, because I just want to lay into somebody, but I know I'm not supposed to, so I'll just carry the pack, right? And it feels like this pack of rocks that were put on your back instead of being what it is, which is everything you need for life and godliness. 
So when you begin to think of the Christian faith that way, you'd be like, man, this is, this is kind of heavy. I, I, I might need this. Because here's what happens. You believe in tenets of the Christian faith. Hey, I should do this. I shouldn't steal. I shouldn't lie. Uh, I, objectively, I know that those things, it's better not to do those things until you get into a situation where it would benefit you to tell a lie, where it would benefit you to take something, where it would benefit you to be in a relationship with somebody that you shouldn't be in a relationship with. And then all of a sudden you start to question, like, well, you know, is there any wiggle room here? <laughs> I mean, back when I was thinking objectively, back over here I knew what was right and wrong, but over here I'm starting to kind of wrestle with it. And what you have to ask yourself is when I'm over here, hey, why did I believe it in the first place? Because if I'm not going to bring it with me over here, then it had no value ever. It was just this sort of thing. But, but, if, but if that was always true, then that can carry me through these moments of temptation where I'm like, hey, I'm tempted to do something that I know God doesn't want me to do, but I also know that in my saner moments, I knew that it was wrong, and I'm going to trust that version of me because that version of me had a clearer head. They had a clearer picture. They weren't intoxicated by whatever the desire is that I'm, I'm struggling with right now. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through what? The knowledge, it's showing up again, right? How important is it to know God, to know Jesus? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. We're not called to work for our own glory, for our own excellence. We're supposed to pour our lives out for the glory and the excellence of Jesus. His standard is the standard that we're trying to achieve. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Sinful desire can get you really far. We talked about it last week, right? Appetite, ambition, approval. People that are really driven by those fleshly desires can get a lot of stuff done. Even in the church, there are churches that rise on the ambition and the ego of a few individuals that want to really build something for themselves, and then when it crashes, it crashes hard because it was built on the wrong foundation. You guys know this. You can steamroll over people uh, to get what you want. Uh, you can deceive people. You can sweep. You can do all these things out of the flesh, but they're of no desire. Uh, they're, they're, they're of no value. They come out of our, our fleshly desires, but, but it says that God has given us everything, these great promises, so we can become partakers of his nature, and we can escape from all those things. Man, that's the life that we want, right? So th this is what I'm describing as the motor. All the things that I just share with you, it's, it's, it's the power that he's placed in us. It's the promises he's given us. It's, it's the high calling that he's placed upon us. That's the motor that is meant to, to drive what we do. Eli, throw up the, the picture here real quick. Um, so I want to show you guys um, this car. I took this in my driveway earlier. Uh, so, <laughs> so does anybody know what this car is? Do we have any like total car people in here? Drew. Uh, I think it's, you're, you're right. I don't know the familial categories, but specifically I know that this is a Porsche Spider 918. And uh, so it's probably in the Porsche GT family. Um, but what I know about this is they made these. They only made 918 of them ever. That's all they made. They're not making them anymore. They're not in production. Um, and according to Wikipedia, which is always right, <laughs> it's the fastest production car, fastest accelerating production car. It goes from 0 to 60 in 2.2 seconds. So imagine, 1,001, 1,002, 60 miles an hour, right? 
incredible. Um, it's, it's a hybrid electric, so you're, with your Prius, you're like right there in that same category as this, <laughs> right? Um, and yeah, there's only, there's only 918 of them. Now, now here's the thing. I used to have, I, this is an amazing car. I also used to have an amazing car. Uh, it, was a, it was a 2004 Mazda 3 five-door hatchback. Uh, man, that thing was incredible. I bought it from brand new. I drove it until I had 218,000 miles. Uh, I traded it into the dealership. It was still running like a champ. It was an incredible car. Uh, but here's the thing. If I go out here onto a 611 and I'm sitting at the stoplight and I convince myself that that is not a Mazda 3, but it's actually a Porsche Spider. Uh, and, and I slam on that accelerator uh, just to get as much acceleration uh, as I can out of it. And if I convince myself in my mind, like, yeah, I'm at 60, and that was two seconds, even though it was probably like 22 seconds, right? Uh, I could believe, I could deceive myself into thinking that that's what, what it was. But guess what? It's never going to be that. That's not what it is. It doesn't have the motor <laughs> to get that kind of acceleration. And here's what I want you to see. The only motor that's going to get the kind of life that he's describing here is the one that we just looked at. The faith that's been given to us. The promises that are granted to us. The power that's been put into us by God. That's the motor that we have to have to run it. And no matter how much we try, I mean, I could really slam the accelerator. I could go through all five gears of my manual shift, right? But Nothing I do of my own strength is going to turn it into that car because it doesn't have the right motor. Now flip it on the other side. Imagine that Drew grabs you after the service and he says, hey, actually, do you want to see one of those? Because I've got one in my garage. And you go over to his house and you're like, man, this is incredible. What does it feel like when you just slam that accelerator and you go from zero to 60 in 2.2 seconds? And what if Drew said, yeah, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, I've never, I've never done it. I, you know, I keep it here in the garage. I'm trying to keep it pristine. I do take it to car shows, but I put it on a trailer, and uh, every once in a while I'll get in, and I'll turn the ignition on, and I'll just kind of listen to the engine. But, yeah, no, I've never, I've never driven it. You would look at him and be like, why not? <laughs> like, what's wrong with you? Why wouldn't you do that? You've got that motor. You've got that power. You see where I'm going with this? So many of us have this motor. <laughs> we have this incredible engine that's been placed into our lives, but how foolish are we if we've never stepped on the accelerator? If we never do what it was made to do, if we never, if we never lean into it. And let me, let me let you in on a little secret here, and you can read, read some books about it if you want. There's a lot of people that uh, have wrestled with the book of 2 Peter because they didn't like its theology. And so they, they tried to say, hey, yeah, I don't even know if this should be in the Bible. Because he's about to say here um, that, that we should make every effort to, to, to get these qualities into our life. And I, I, that doesn't sound like salvation by faith alone through Christ alone. Like, I don't think we should be making effort. And, and what that is, is just a misunderstanding of good biblical theology. And it's a good misunderstanding. If God has put this engine in us, why would he put it there other than to drive it? And so our faith has to lead us to works. And we should strive to live in the way that he designed us to live. Man, if you ever get to drive one of those cars, I hope you slam the accelerator down, right? I hope you take it around the corner as fast as you can. It, it finished some track record in under seven minutes, and I don't even know what the track looked like, but I know that that was probably the most crazy seven minutes of someone's life when they set that record, right? Cornering and, and, and you know, I don't know if they drift with those. Who knows? Anyways. All right, take the car down, Drew, or Eli. It's, it's confusing me now. Here's what he says. 
he says, uh, and here's the hinge point, verse 5, for this very reason. If you jump in in verse 5 and you skip everything that came before it, you completely miss the point of the passage. For what reason? For everything that I just told you about the motor. If that's the motor, here's the mission. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Now, he's going to continue on with a list of these qualities, but I, there's some really important things here. First of all, recognize that faith is not one of the things that we make every effort for. Faith is the starting point. We're given the faith. The faith is granted to us. Faith, not just knowledge, like the demons understood that Jesus was the Son of God. They knew who he was. So knowing that Jesus is the Son of God is not the same as faith. Faith is saying, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you're good. I believe that you love me. I believe that my entrance into heaven has been purchased by you at the cross and given freely to me. That's what faith looks like. Faith looks like when you stand before God and say, uh, hey, I know I'm unworthy to enter into the kingdom, but Jesus promised that he has paid my way. That's what faith is, right? That's, that's not something we will up in ourselves. That's a gift of God. But when we have that faith, we're called to supplement it. And this, the Greek word that's translated as supplement came out of this. Um, there, was a, there was choruses and productions and plays that were done in Greek society. And they would have somebody who would come along, uh, a, a generous benefactor that would supplement the production. They would buy them all the things that they needed for the, the sets. And they, would, and they would pay for different things. It was a costly and generous gift given by a benefactor. And so essentially by using this word supplement, what he's saying is like, hey, what, what Jesus has given you, this costly and generous gift that Jesus has given to you, you're called to mirror that by in a costly and generous way pursuing the life that God wants you to live. So it's a question for us this morning. What, what's it costing me to be a Christian? Is it costing you anything? Have you said no to anything that, that you desired but that you knew that you shouldn't do? Have you poured yourself out in a way that was painful for another person? Have you ever forgiven someone? Because forgiveness is always expensive. But when you forgive, when you heal a relationship through forgiveness, what you're willing to say is, hey, you broke this through your sin, but I'm going to take the, the cost of reconciliation on myself. Because that's what Jesus did for me. Right? We're called to supplement the faith that we've been given with virtue. Virtue is just what is right, what is good, right? It's the Captain America of these, of these things, right? Captain America always does what is good and right. Oh, man, I was about to give you an endgame spoiler, but I'm not going to do it, right? I'm just going to let it go. Thank you, yes. Um, supplement your virtue with knowledge. Knowledge again, right? And this is not just religious knowledge, uh, but this is just knowledge. This is wisdom. This is, we're not called to, the Christian life is not like, hey, check out, oh, I can't look at any science anymore because science, uh, uh, science and Christianity are opposed to one another. So forget science. And, no, it's, it's, he's calling us to think, to pursue knowledge, to see how God created the world, to see how relationships work. There's so much knowledge and he wants us to pursue that so that we can serve better, to understand our, our culture. If you're a missionary to Horsham, you better know what drives the people around you. What motivates the people in your life? What is it that they're looking for and everything else that they can only find in Jesus? And how do you help them connect the dots? It's knowledge, right? Self-control. Supplement your knowledge with self-control. Are you just prone to going after whatever you want? I want it. I got it, right? It's, it's the, that's, that's the theme song of our generation. You're with me, Mackenzie. Our generation, Mackenzie and I's generation, we're, we're down with Ariana Grande. 
Um, but I mean, it's, it's, not a, it's not a deception, right? Look at any luxury car commercial. Desire fulfilled, right? Like it's, it's, it's you want it, go get it. You deserve it. You've earned it. I, 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 I sinned against some of you by putting that car on the screen, right? Now you're going you're gonna to want to pursue that. Now, um, self-control. And we recognize, honestly, in the Christian life, it's, it's not really self-control so much as it's spirit control. It's, it's saying, hey, Holy Spirit, convict me, lead me, guide me, direct me. I don't even trust my own heart, but I trust you, and I trust what you show me in your word, and I trust what you're speaking to me, and I, I trust the people that you've brought me into my, into my life. Sidebar, if you've got a Christian friend who's been a good friend and has given you great advice and loved you well, and all of a sudden you want to do something, and they're like, hey, I don't know if that's a good idea, don't disregard all the credit you've built up with them just to go do what you want to do. Maybe trust that they can see what you can't see. <laughs> Maybe they love you a little bit better than you're even able to love yourself in that moment. So, um, so sidebar over, but, but, but that, that comes in with knowledge, self-control, steadfastness. Just be faithful. Just be committed. Don't give up when it gets, when it gets a little bit tough. Trust that God is going to make a way through it. When you get into something difficult, don't be like, here we go. I knew it. I knew it was coming. I knew he was going to cut it out from under me. Say, man, this is tough. I'm, am- I'm going to be amazed to see how God is going to do this. Because <laughs> I know he did it before. I've read in the Bible how he's done it for people. I've seen in my own life how he's done it for me. And so, man, this is tough. This is going to be that much more exciting when God brings me through the other side of this one. It's just trusting. It's remaining with him. Godliness. Hey, there's nothing wrong with pursuing the character and the nature of God. We're never going to be God. We can't become God. But, but that's the target. We want, to, we want to emulate his character, his love, his compassion, his peace, his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy. That's what we're aiming for. If, you, if you're doing it better than everybody around you, that's awesome. <laughs> but you've set the bar too low. Godliness. Supplement that with brotherly affection, Love for one another, particularly in the church. My daughter Eloise has been calling me out on this lately. She's like, why do you call everybody brother? <laughs> Some guy outside Walmart was like, hey, man, hey, come here. I was like, hey, thanks, brother. I got my kids with me. She's like, why'd you call him brother? Is he your brother? And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, well, you know, we're all children of God, so that makes us brothers and sisters. So, um, so next time I call you bro or brother, just so you know. Um, I mean it as a, as a total term of endearment. And last, love. It begins with faith. It ends with love. Love is the ultimate Christian characteristic. Man, that's a powerful list, right? And so if you're sitting here and you're like, man, okay, done, knocked it out, finished, completed, what else you got? You're self-deluded, right? <laughs> you, haven't, you haven't arrived, and I'll show you what it says here in the next thing, right? It says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing. That's the goal. We're never going to get all these knocked out in this lifetime, but there should be a progression of increase. And this is what so many of the discipleship conversations that I have with people will get together. We're being real. We're being honest with each other. And they'll be like, man, you know what? I, I screwed up. Here's what I did this week. I messed this up. I broke, I, I, I was not good with my wife. I was, you know, whatever. And I'll be like, hey, look, yeah, you screwed up. You're right. But guess what? Here's what I've seen in your life over this past time. It looks like this. You might, have, you might have taken two steps back, but, but, but before that, you took eight steps forward. And that's, nobody, nobody's on a straight line, right? We all have, we have great moments and we have setbacks, but you should be able to look over the course of your life and say, hey, are these qualities, I know I'm not there yet, but are these qualities increasing my life? Is God increasing my virtue? Is he increasing my, my godliness? Is he increasing my self-control? I'm not where I want to be, but I'm more self-controlled than I was. 
If these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you. And now we're moving from the, the motor that we talked about to the mission. Now we're talking to the measures. How do we know if we've done this? Number one, is it increasing? Number two, if we do these things, it will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord. Wait, what? The knowledge of our Lord? <laughs> is that important? <laughs> Should we remember that? Right? That's like the fourth time it's been in this small passage. Yeah. Unfruitful, ineffective. If the car's sitting in the garage and you've never taken it out on the road, unfruitful, ineffective. Right? And that's what we want, man. We want to be fruitful and effective. That's how, when we lay down at the end of the day, we shouldn't say, hey, what does this person think about me? Did I please that person? Am I where uh, my parents expect to be, uh, me to be? You should say, hey, was I fruitful and effective for the kingdom? That's what I ask myself. It's what I ask about our church. And man, there's a million things we could do better. Um, but by God's grace, I see fruit. I see people's lives being transformed. We're gonna have baptisms here in a couple weeks for worship night. That's a sign of fruitfulness and effectiveness, that God is doing something through our church, and we just want to figure out how we can become more and more fruitful, more and more effective, see those things increasing. That's our goal. That's the measure that we're aiming for. Through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. It's like you're walking around with a backpack. It's heavy, <laughs> And you forgot that it's full of everything that you need for life and godliness. You've got it all, but you can become so inward focused, so nearsighted, so like zeroed in that you forget that he's given you everything that you need. Number 10, therefore brothers. And let me point out that Peter says brothers, so I'm not alone when I, when I use that, right? I'm in good company. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Notice he doesn't say earn your calling and election. He says confirm it. Confirm it in your heart. Man, if you walk with Jesus, you get to a point where you're like, man, I, I don't know everything, and I, but, but I know that I have a relationship with him. I know that I'm saved. I have a peace. I have an assurance. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and so what he's saying here, uh, yes, when we get to heaven, it's going to be lavish. It's going to be rich. It's going to be incredible. Uh, it's going to be amazing. But I think he's also saying, if you live life in this way, you can experience the rich provision of Jesus Christ in your life here and now, that you can triumphantly <laughs> march towards the kingdom. Man, Paul had a tough life. The Apostle Paul, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was thrown out of cities. But man, that guy made every effort to supplement his faith with those things. And he experienced a rich and lavish entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And that's what we should aspire to.